Welcome to Bible News Press. Our goal is to discuss biblical faith beyond cliches and buzzwords, whether such words are religious or political. Sometimes we sit around the table and fellowship. Sometimes we do a little time travel. It is all part of our journey with our Abba Father, who has given us the key to life. We do it with Jesus, and we do it together. Welcome. Hello, I'm Laura. I will be reading Hosea chapter 5 from the World English Bible. Listen to this, you priests. Listen, house of Israel, and give ear, house of the king. For the judgment is against you, for you have been a snare at Mizpah and a net spread on Tabor. The rebels are deep in slaughter, but I discipline all of them. I know Ephraim, and Israel is not hidden from me. For now, Ephraim, you have played the prostitute. Israel is defiled. Their deeds won't allow them to turn to their God, for the spirit of prostitution is within them, and they don't know Yahweh. The pride of Israel testifies to his face. Therefore, Israel and Ephraim will stumble in their iniquity. Judah also will stumble with them. They will go with their flocks and with their herds to seek Yahweh, but they won't find him. He has withdrawn himself from them. They are unfaithful to Yahweh, for they have borne illegitimate children. Now the new moon will devour them with their fields. Blow the cornet in Gibeah and the trumpet in Ramah. Sound a battle cry at Beth Avon, behind you, Benjamin. Ephraim will become a desolation in the day of rebuke. Among the tribes of Israel I have made known that which will surely be. The princes of Judah are like those who remove a landmark. I will pour out my wrath on them like water. Ephraim is oppressed. He is crushed in judgment because he is intent in his pursuit of idols. Therefore I am to Ephraim like a moth and to the house of Judah like rottenness. When Ephraim saw his sickness and Judah his wound, then Ephraim went to Assyria and sent to King Jerob, but he is not able to heal you, neither will he cure you of your wound. For I will be to Ephraim like a lion, and like a young lion to the house of Judah. I myself will tear in pieces and go away. I will carry off, and there will be no one to deliver. I will go and return to my place, Until they acknowledge their offense and seek my face, in their affliction, they will seek me earnestly. That is the end of chapter 5. I keep finding myself thinking that, on the surface, people might just view all of this as repetitive. But think about it. Wouldn't you plead with someone you loved if they are doing destructive things, bad, evil things, that greatly harm themselves and others, that are just wrong? This is truth in love. The people of Israel here ignore the God who made them, who loved them, and gave them a special representation of himself so that they could represent him to the rest of the world. But instead of doing that, they were eager to join in celebrating the wretchedness of the rest of the world. So any caring person would warn and plead. In verse 1, he speaks first to those who should be using their positions of responsibility to lead people to God. That was very specifically the role that the priests had from the beginning of the law that Moses gave them. And then the kings, when he allowed the kings because of the people begging, they were instructed in that also. But instead, there is judgment. 
One of the first things I did in studying the chapter was to look up the locations mentioned. I think that helps anchor what is going on. These are real places and they mean things to people and they help give you a sense of the prophecy. Mizpah in verse 1 can apparently be spelled with either an A or an E between the P and the H, and maybe there are other variant English spellings, as happens when transliterating between different types of alphabets, but those are the two main spellings that I found. There is a region designated Mizpah, or the Valley of Mizpah, north of Israel, north of the Sea of Galilee, and up east of Sidon. But the Mizpah here in verse 1 probably refers to the city, which is said to be near Bethel, or about 10 miles north of Jerusalem. The first mention of Mizpah in the Bible is Genesis 31, verse 49, because it is an area involved in where Jacob and Laban are saying their final goodbyes. And they had been, Laban had caught up with Jacob near Gilead, and that's east of the Jordan. So that's not the same area. The more northern valley of Mizpah seems to be what is mentioned in Joshua 11. Remember, it's not uncommon for different areas to use the same name for various reasons. In Judges chapter 10, Mizpah seems to be talking about the Mizpah on the west of the Jordan opposite Gilead. Jephthah, infamous for making the rash vow that ended up involving his daughter in Judges 11, lived in Mizpah. In 1 Samuel 7, 5, Samuel told all Israel to gather at Mizpah right after the ark is returned by the Philistines, and David spent some time in Mizpah, according to 1 Samuel 22, 3. Significantly, in 2 Kings 25, 23, when final judgment is coming to Judah, Mizpah is mentioned as the temporary seat of government after Babylon has completely conquered them. Mizpah is featured in Nehemiah when they return to build the temple and stuff. And here, that is, Nehemiah is the last time chronologically it is referenced, although Hosea is in the Bible after Nehemiah. Tabor shows up as a mountain or mountainous region that runs along the north side of the Valley of Jezreel that we spoke about earlier in Hosea. You can see that in the American Bible Society Atlas. Tabor is listed as a border reference for Zebulun in Joshua chapter 19. Mount Tabor is mentioned in Judges 4.12 when Deborah is advising Barak about fighting Sisera. Psalm 89 uses Mount Tabor as evidence of God's mighty and creative power. When you take Mizpah and Tabor together, you see that Mizpah is basically in the southern part of the northern kingdom of Israel, and Tabor is in the north. So this encompasses the land in reference. Then we have again Ephraim's name used as representative of all Israel, which is indicated by verse 3. In verse 8, Gibeah and Ramah are near Mizpah, as I noticed them also on maps in the American Bible Society Atlas. And then we have Beth Avon, and I have to correct something I said when discussing Hosea chapter 4. I cited David Gusick's study guide on Hosea 4, in which he says there is not a city actually named Beth Avon. However, as I was looking up these other cities, I found that Beth Avon shows up as a city in Joshua chapter 7, verse 2. It is described, it is part of the description of a wilderness in Joshua 18. 
In 1 Samuel 13, 5, Saul and Jonathan are fighting Philistines who camp east of Beth-Avon. That kind of sounds like a real place. It seems that no one is sure now of what its exact location was. The American Bible Society has it with a question mark in a couple of places, but these are also near Mizpah. Then I went back to the beginning of the chapter and used some cross-references that I found in my New King James Version published by Nelson Publishers. So let me share some of those. For verse 2, where it says, the rebels are deep in slaughter, compare this to Isaiah 29.15, which says, Woe to those who deeply hide their counsel from Yahweh, and whose deeds are in the dark, and who say, Who sees us? For verse 4 in Hosea, compare right to Hosea chapter 4, verse 6, where it says why they don't have knowledge. It's not because no one told them. And this can also be compared to Romans chapter 2, where Paul makes it clear that people have suppressed the truth, the knowledge of God. The phrase of verse 5, the pride of Israel testifies to his face, will be repeated in chapter 7, verse 10. This gives a picture of blatant pride, like being proud of being proud. Consider a similar description in Jeremiah 43.2, where all the proud men accused Jeremiah of speaking falsely. For Hosea chapter 5, verse 6, compare to Proverbs chapter 1, verses 20 through 33. Let me read that to you. Wisdom calls aloud in the street. She utters her voice in the public squares. She calls at the head of noisy places. At the entrance of the city gates, she utters her words. How long, you simple ones, will you love simplicity? How long will mockers delight themselves in mockery and fools hate knowledge? Turn at my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make known my words to you. Because I have called and you have refused, I have stretched out my hand and no one has paid attention. But you have ignored all my counsel and wanted none of my reproof. I also will laugh at your disaster. I will mock when calamity overtakes you. When calamity overtakes you like a storm, when your disaster comes on like a whirlwind, when distress and anguish come on you, then they will call on me, but I will not answer. They will seek me diligently, but they will not find me because they hated knowledge and didn't choose the fear of Yahweh. They wanted none of my counsel. They despised all of my reproof. Therefore, they will eat of the fruit of their own way and be filled with their own schemes. For the backsliding of the simple will kill them. The careless ease of fools will destroy them. But whoever listens to me will dwell securely and will be at ease without fear of harm. That was written by Solomon around 250 years earlier. In Jeremiah 3.20, he uses similar imagery of the treacherously unfaithful wife as spoken of in verse 7 here in Hosea. And in verse 8, trumpets and horns are calls to action, probably defensive battle here. It was interesting to follow trumpets through the Bible. In Exodus 19.13 is the first mention of a trumpet I can find, and it was used to call the people to come near Mount Sinai. Carefully, they weren't supposed to touch it. And when they hear it in verse 16, they tremble. It seems to not have been an earthly trumpet. 
Of course, there were trumpets involved with the Battle of Jericho. Gideon blew a trumpet in Judges 634. In 2 Samuel 615, trumpet sounds were part of the celebration of bringing the Ark of God to Jerusalem. Psalm 47.5 says, The Lord with the sound of a trumpet. Isaiah 27.13 mentions the great trumpet. Joel 2.1 says, Blow the trumpet in Zion. Then Matthew 24.31, where Jesus is speaking, says, And he will send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet. In 1 Corinthians 14.8, it asks, If a trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? There are more references. There are 60 in all in the New King James Version of the Bible, according to blueletterbible.org's word search. It is interesting to follow the research, the study of trumpets into Revelation, where they are very prominent. In chapter 1, verse 10 of Revelation, Jesus' voice is compared to a trumpet. And then in 914 of Revelation, we have the final trumpet judgments. If you add an S, to trumpets in the word search. There are 49 more references of similar types, also ending with Revelation 8-2, where the seven angels with seven trumpets begin their judgments. And in 11-15 of Revelation, the seventh trumpet, when the kingdoms of the world become the kingdoms of our Lord Jesus Christ. Back to Hosea chapter 5, verse 10, refers to Deuteronomy 19.14, where they are told not to mess with their neighbor's landmarks or border markers, and Deuteronomy 27.17, where there is a curse on anyone who does this. This is set in the curse that the nation agrees to with Moses when he explains the blessings and the curses, and this is why in verse 11, It is also connected to Deuteronomy 28.33 because oppression was part of the curse. And verse 11 in Hosea chapter 5 is also like Micah 6.16, which talks about following the ways of Omri. In Hosea chapter 5, here verse 13, it is probably referring to what happened in 2 Kings 15.9, where one of the last kings of Israel did this very thing, asking for help from Assyria. Then in verse 14, when God uses the lion to describe his judgment, he is doing it for the strength and thoroughness. It is not to be used as a metaphor of -of out-of-control rampage on innocent victims. And you can see this with the use of lions anywhere throughout Scripture, no matter what they are referring to. The lion is a symbol of strength or someone trying to pretend like they have strength. So in Psalm 50:22 there is actually similar imagery of tearing apart without the lion. It is interesting that Jesus is described both as the lamb and the lion. It is parallel to Paul telling us he is both the just and the justifier in Romans 3:26 and correlates with his first and second coming. The lion was the symbol of Judah, beginning with Jacob's blessing of Judah in Genesis 49.9, where it says the scepter shall not depart from Judah. Samson had a strength greater than a lion in Judges 14. In 1 Samuel 17.10, David is described as having the heart of a lion. The lion killed the disobedient prophet in 1 Kings 13. Job says God hunts him like a lion in Job 10.16. And like I said, there are some negative allusions to lions, like in Psalm 22. But in Proverbs 28.1, the righteous are as bold as a lion. 
In Ezekiel, one of the heavenly wheels had the face of a lion. And that's Ezekiel 10.14. In Amos 3.8, God speaking is compared to a lion roaring. And then another kind of negative one in 1 Peter 5.8, Satan tries to be like a lion. In Revelation 4.7, the first living creature is like a lion. In Revelation 5.5, Jesus Christ is called the lion of the tribe of Judah. And in Revelation 10.3, we have a loud voice like a lion of one of God's mighty angels. In Revelation 13.2, the beast has a mouth like a lion, claiming blasphemies against God, but it is futile, for Jesus Christ is the real lion of Judah. The last verse of Hosea chapter 5, verse 15, is recognized as a pointed messianic prophecy. It implies the physical presence of God, God incarnate. See Isaiah 7, 14, 9, 6, and 52, 13 through 53, 12, where he poured out his life unto death. God in the spirit, his eternal presence and being can't die. So he had to come in a way that enabled his return to his place. Of course, there are many spots in the New Testament scripture that expound on this, but I just quoted Isaiah for now. I will link to a couple of articles about his incarnation and about his coming twice, and also to Mike Winger's series on Jesus in the Old Testament. That's all for today. Thanks for listening. That is the Bible News Press segment for today, but not the end of our journey. 